good afternoon and happy Wednesday. This is the Desiree Show on World Tune Radio. First downs and flip tricks. It is the 11th day, as I mentioned, of May. Quick happy birthday to Jim Muir today and a big up to the Sheckler Foundation on another successful event that went down this last Saturday. I've got a dynamite show for you tonight. Steve's are dropping. Uh, the first one is going to drop is the father of skateboarding. Phenomenal man, all things vans. VP of Events and Promotions at Vans, Mr. Steve Van Doren. And then uh, he'll be joining us shortly, plus a little bit of detail about this 11th annual Vans Pool Party, which is uh, finals are going down on Saturday in Orange. And at the bottom of the hour, former Chargers and Patriots undrafted free agent, free safety, Gregory, Stephen Gregory. And without further ado, I'm truly honored and thankful uh, to, gosh, Someone I hold in the highest regard, truly a symbolism of what skateboarding truly means to me. Vans for Life, VP of Events and Promotion, Master Waffle Maker and a Barbecue, Skateboarding Hall of Famer, Humanitarian, The Face and the Family of Vans, The Warp Tour, and so much more, essentially. The Backbone and the Pillar, the shining example to all of us in skateboarding and humanity, the one and only Mr. Steve Van Doren. Steve, are you still there? Wow, of course. i got to open my windows up after that introduction. Wow, that was, that was very, very kind of you. But, oh. uh, you know, just a passion and a lifetime for 50 years. I'm very proud to say since I was 10 years old, I've been working with my dad at Benz, and uh, here we are on our 50th anniversary, and I've got the best job in the world. You know, I get to go and have fun at every event that we've created over the years. You know, we've got year 22 of the Vans Warp Tour coming up this summer. Year 11 here of the Vans Pool Party. We just started a new series called the Park Series that's going to five different countries around the world. And uh, skateboarding, surfing. I just saw three of our guys just got back from Vancouver where they were up in Victoria and doing uh, longboard surfing, Joel Tudor's duct tape, tape tour this last week. But uh, it's a pleasure to be on, be on the air with you. Thank you very much. Oh, gosh, Steve. You know, and that's what I said. I, there was, there's a list. I could have kept going for probably half an hour of all the things you do. Um, <laughs> you, you are amazing. And um, I will never forget, uh, after Triple Clown in, uh, and the Warp Tour kind of went through Ashbury Park, Aaron and I had skated Casino Bowl and were skating back to the hotel. And this is nighttime, and nobody, the aftermath of the Warp Tour was all that was visible and you picking up trash and it's something that I will never forget um, you've never never uh oh alright I think we lost Steve uh, what we're going to do is uh, he's probably going to be calling us right back let's see uh, we're going to give him a call back there he is all right. You guys running out just now. Yeah, sorry there about we, that. It was a, going wild. It's all right. It's all right. So um, I was just saying, uh, just I will never forget um, Ashbury Park and 98 after right. Triple Crown and the Warp Tour came through. And Aaron and I had just skated Casino Bowl. We were skating back to the hotel. And there was just an aftermath of thousands and thousands of people having been in Ashbury Park. And all that was visible was you and a few Vans employees picking up trash, and I will never forget that. That's, that's, that those, those, are the, those are the best days. Those are the best days because Asbury Park was a fun stop when we swung through. We would go out to Randall's Island, which was really a piece of work, but uh, the dust bowl of the world. But then Asbury Park was on the ocean, and it was 20,000 strong. And I remember, you know, we would have our main booth in front of the two main stages. But in those days, 
stage three and four would blow up so big, they would have acts on them that they were just really coming into their own. And the big crunch after a set would uh, finish, we'd just go and kind of corral. We'd bring pulling people into our tents so they could get through. But uh, Asbury Park was a real favorite of mine and stuff uh, over the years and stuff. But uh, I remember that one well for sure. And we, of course, we have to make sure we have everything cleaned up before we get out of there, yeah. doing our part. No, and uh, you know, and then I, I actually had the opportunity. You, you mean so much to me, and I know you mean so much to the skateboarding community. And I had the opportunity to, um, since this was last minute, I had uh, three, three guys that actually had something to say. And so I'm going to play one of those right now for you. Cool. This is from Ray. Van is a heartbeat of Vans. If it wasn't for him, I'm not sure how much Vans would be involved in skateboarding. He's definitely one of skateboarding's biggest supporters. And as big as Vans has gotten over the years, Steve is the reminder of what it should always be. Thanks so much, Steve, for all the hard work, for all the support for so many years. I love you, man. All right. That was, uh, was Ray Barbie. Oh, Ray's awesome, I know. So what a great talent. I mean, not just skateboarding, but, you know, musician and actually person, father. He's an awesome, awesome guy. I love Love traveling the world with Ray. I've done many, many tours with him and stuff. And uh, just a great individual and stuff. Yeah, no, you've and and Jeff Rowley texted me. Steve Van Doren is the single biggest supporter <laughs> of professional skaters and skateboard brands in our industry. Hard work, okay. dedication, and an immensely intoxicating smile, coupled with the off the wall attitude, makes Steve a very special person indeed. Right. Well. Jeff's another real special person, you know, got to know Jeff in the late 90s and stuff where uh, Ray and Cab and uh, many of those guys, uh, Tony especially, you know, for 40 years and then having uh, having known Christian, uh, Soy and Caballeros for the 30 years and stuff. But Jeff, big, big part of bands and getting us where we are today and stuff. Just, uh, you know, uh, Jeff came to me maybe uh, six months ago and he says, hey, Steve, we had a bowl in our office. And it was actually like a uh, 60 foot long mini ramp with bowl to both ends. And he, he says, Do you think we could build something so I have to do some video parts? And I said, Sure. So we tore that out and I built him a special mini ramp that he wanted and just recently just added a wall ride that he wanted in order to film things. I mean, if we can't do something for our riders, we can't do something for anybody. So just a, a very, very special friend and awesome person. And, uh, you know, love having him. You know, on our team and be able to have Propello last year and have him and Anthony Van Egan, you know, uh, with all the young uh, guys uh, be able to be in that, that Propello uh, video, as well as we got to have guys like Ray Barbie and Omar and Cab and Asoy and Alva uh, be part of that with all our young guns and stuff, the guys in their 18 and 20, 20s uh, to be uh, all together in one video was awesome. Well, and that's something that you have, you know, and I think uh, Ray kind of illustrated that or actually vocalized that and something that you have been able to, regardless of what has gone through with the company of Vans, you have always kept it true and real to all of us. And um, You know, the one, I, I talked to my dad. My dad's going to be 86 next month. And, you know, the one thing is, is that the skaters adopted us. My dad started a company in 66, so the first nine years we're just trying to stay in business my dad was making his own shoes our factory with my uncle jim and gordy and selling them in our own stores 
And all of a sudden, these young guys from all over Southern California were wearing our shoes because of the way that my dad and uncle designed the shoe, you know, having a thicker bottom, the waffle sole, pure crepe rubber, and canvas. And then they kind of showed us, hey, add some leather. That's when the old school and skate highs came out. But they adopted us in the mid-70s. And at that time, again, I started off when I was 10 in 1966, and now I'm 20, 25 years old. And um, I'm going around all the different skate parks. I hired our first team manager. Because I'm saying I don't know nothing about skateboarding in, you know, 1975. So I hired Everett Rosecrans in 1977, and <laughs> he started putting a great team together and getting all the people that, you know, were wearing vans in the 70s and 80s. But I'm loyal to people that are loyal to us. We're not football, basketball, baseball, soccer. We basically are vans, and skaters liked our shoes and how they gripped and the board feel. And I've stuck with that for the last 40 years after they first started wearing our shoes. And, uh, you know, to this day, that's, that's you know, who we are, what we are. You know, we're a bigger corporation, but as long as I'm around, my daughter Christy and a lot of the people that have been around vans designing shoes and stuff and feel the way they are to make sure we take care of the skate community, surf community, snowboard community. That's our business. Music is very important. Art, of course, too. But it all started with roots uh, skaters, and, you know, they are, they're, they're individuals. They're creative expressors that love to do art, and they love to play music. And if we tie all those things together, we'll keep winning. There's no reason why the next 50 years can't be the same. Yeah. No, it's um, – thank you. Thank you to your dad, no. to Christy, to your family for keeping it true. Um, Our pleasure. That's why things like that are coming up this Saturday, the Vance Pool Party, been going on for 11 years. And uh, – it's, it's funny because we had our skate park for this coming on next year. It's going to be 19 years. I don't know why we didn't do it for the first six years or seven <laughs> years, but it kind of shows you that bowl riding wasn't in back then. It was more street. It was more vert, but it wasn't in bowls. And then it evolved. And I finally said, woke up like a dummy and said, why don't we have a cool contest in here because nobody else does it. And it's like gladiators. You're kind of in the, you know, there's about 1,200 people that can get actually around the bowl, and you're looking down at it. And and the riders, we have three divisions. We have a pro division, we have a master's division, which is 40 and over, and then we have a legends division that we've invited certain ma- you know Latin uh, masters or legends from around you know the years and stuff. And it's a gnarly competition. It's those guys been out there practicing for the last month. You know, two nights ago I was over there, and you know it was you know 50, 70 riders in there practicing because this is the big big thing of the year. And so more bowl riding has been happening over the last, you know, d- decade. And street skating, of course, is strong. And we just basically have done this event because it works. And it's a great competition. It's a lot more different than just watching a street skating competition. But that's where part comes in, where the young guns of today, the 15 to 25-year-olds, want to do low bowls and um, do um, things that are in park terrain. And so what they've done is they've we've actually went and we've built together um, bowls that we actually built on the sand, like in uh, uh, the Vans U.S. Open. We've done something like Marseille over in France that was a very popular thing for many years. And with the 3,000 skate parks around the U.S. and many of them around the world, the young riders are used to terrain that's park. And so we're now creating something that uh, it started in Melbourne uh, last month. We're going to go to Brazil the 6th or 7th of uh, June. It then goes up to Vancouver in late July. And then, uh, sorry, early July, and then late July, we're on the sand in Huntington Beach, the Vans U.S. Open of Surfing. We do the Vans Pro Park Series right there on the beach where we build a quarter-million-dollar cement bowl and have the competition there. 
and then it rolls on to Sweden for the finals in Malmo, Sweden this year in on the 20th of August. So five different worldly stops. We're actually hoping uh, it's been a long time for the whole skate industry, but uh, they're going to vote uh, at the Olympics uh, in August. Uh, skateboarding, I believe, will happen in um, 2020 in the Japan Summer Olympics. So surfing and skateboarding will be actually going into the Olympics that year, which will be a great thing because it's going to be Street League is doing a great competition that will get street skateboarding into the Olympics and have challenges all over the world, competitions, and then the Vans Pro Park Series for Park will be a second one. It will be both for girls and guys. Wow. Now, how do you, how do you, how do you uh, endure this all? <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, everything's easy. When you get to the Vans Warped Tour, that's the gnarly one. Because yeah. I used to go on all of them. And, you know, Kevin Lyman, who started it, is in his 22nd year. Um, Vans got involved after the first year. And <clears throat> I did all of them all the way up to about maybe four years ago. And then I was going 75%. And then two years ago, 50%, and about 30% now. I got 12 stops that I, I've got on my list of the 40. Um, and just, you know, a lot of other things being requested to go places. But my wife saying, you know, you got to slow down. I had a couple stents put in the heart, so I'm trying to make sure I stay alive. i got a great-grandson now, and then my daughter and my son-in-law, Roy, have uh, passed on for us, and i got to be around for that guy because, you know, i got to get him <clears throat> starting with a lemonade stand pretty soon, and eventually we'll get him barbecuing. You know? <laughs> but yeah. it's, it, it, it's a blessing. It's a great, it's a great time of, of, of the world of life right now. It's amazing. Now, if you're just tuning in, I'm joined by Steve Van Doren. You can follow him on Instagram at Steve Van Man, uh, or actually Van Skate. Uh, on Instagram as well, um, or at Vans, if you're looking for all of these events. Uh, you can follow Steve and follow them all, I think. Uh, now, family and Vans, uh, almost synonyms. Um, one and the same, like you mentioned, you and your, your father started Vans with his brother uh, yep. 51 years ago. You've had the opportunity to work with your daughter now. Um, Christy, yeah, she uh, had to go through the same pain. I had to work with my dad for 25 years. He's been retired for 25 years. But no, I guess she didn't have no choice. Uh, and she would go with me, you know, in 12, 13, 14 years old, we'd be going all over Europe, you know, with BMX and skateboarders doing tours and stuff. And when she was 15 years old for about probably 14 years doing the Vans Warp Tour, my wife said she has no life. She's got to meet somebody. So about five years ago, she stopped going on. She still works on directing it all and stuff. But, you know, I've had, I've had, it's been great because I get to, you know, be with family wherever I am around the world and stuff. And she cares about people. And that's the whole thing I learned from my dad. Because she cares about people, <clears throat> athletes, the net of it, skaters, surfers, BMXers. Nobody's going to take advantage of them when uh, me and my daughter are around. We're going to make sure we treat them the best. No matter if they ride for us or don't, it doesn't matter. They're skaters or they're surfers or snowboarders. They're BMX riders. They're motocross riders. That's who our kings are. That's who our queens are. Those, those, those folks are who make the people come to see them. So we want to make sure that no matter what we do, and the one thing with Vans, all of our events, we have the Vans Warped Tour, the, the fee's nominal. It's the smallest amount to see 100 bands. But every other event we do is free. Snowboard, surfing, skateboarding, everything that Vans does is free. Somebody comes there. They're our guests. I'm barbecuing for them. I'm making sure that our whole company, everything that we do is for our guests who are there. First, we take care of the athletes. The next thing we're going to do is take care of everybody that comes out to see the great skaters, the great surfers, the great snowboarders. And that's just been our philosophy. We don't go inside of an arena and charge a ticket to watch who you should be able to go and watch for free. So that's something. And then with the Internet today, live webcasts, 
I'd never seen a live webcast until the Australian event. I didn't go over there for the first event that we had. I watched it on, uh, on, on uh, the live webcast from my house from 9 to midnight or 1230. It was great. Webcast is awesome, but I've always been at the event, so I've never had to watch it before. So that was kind of a first for me and stuff, and I hope that I don't get to see any more live webcasts because I want to be there live and stuff. It is, it is a bigger world today. There's things happening all over the world for us, which is great. And so <clears throat> i got to pick and choose a little bit more so I'm not, you know, going every week of the year. No, and and you've and vans. Period. I had a member in in sixth grade. Sixth grade it was red vans. Seventh grade it was navy blue. Uh, eighth grade it was light blue. Uh, and then nice. Carabeth and Jen and Jody and I would skate, and Carabeth would Everett gave them shoes, and Jen would actually yeah. have me. They would give me their their half cabs, and so that's how I got my skateboarding shoes was all the half cabs from Jen, Jody, and Carabeth. <laughs> Carabeth just got back from Hawaii. She said she was going over there about a month ago, and so I sent a box, a couple boxes of things over there for her to give out to all the kids on the islands that she had a skate event in the park over there and stuff. So she's still out there rolling. She's you know just a super super great person, and um, I'm excited. The Hall of Fame is coming up on Friday night. That starts off the weekend where there's actually a big um, video premiere for Adidas on Thursday night. And then Friday is the Hall of Fame. Saturday is the Vans Pool Party. So I love it because it's all skateboarding. It's all industry. And, uh, you know, the, um, the whole world that loves uh, skateboarding is going to be out there seeing what's happening on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. We're moving the Hall of Fame, which there's tickets still available if you want to go online and look into it. It's uh, Hall of Fame for skateboarding. It's on Friday night. Jen O'Brien's getting inducted. You know, Salva's getting inducted. Tommy Grail's getting inducted. Um, you know, there's a lot of different folks that are going to be there. Uh, you're going to be uh, South. Yeah, Ed Temple. There you go. Ed Templeton's going to be inducted. And uh, Salva's band's going to be playing. Bofo's getting inducted. Powell's getting inducted. Right. And um, I got the Dickies coming and playing at the end of the night because we moved it to the Grove. So, right. you know, it's going to hold like 1,000 or 1,200 people. So hopefully it'll be the best one ever. And the great thing is, is that everybody gets to come see some of their heroes and stars, you know, from the 90s, 80s, 70s, 60s and stuff. And it uh, should, should be a great evening. And then the next day is the pool party. So uh, I always look forward to this weekend. And uh, uh, here comes another one, great one that's going to be coming upon us very, very soon. Yes. No, thank you. And uh, just one more question. I appreciate your time. I know you've got a, sure. a you know, full hand. Is You have been so instrumental uh, to so many of us um who who is who did you look up to um in the first for the first days in the first decade and stuff you know like you said i said everett rosecrans everett put all these riders in our shoes everett was a great person kelly and beetle mm -hmm. those were his young kids that did demos on eight foot and 16 foot plexiglass ramps with no flat bottom and that's those the, the days that, you know, Tony Hawks and guys like that would go out and work with Gail Webb and stuff to do demos. But, you know, I look up to him as he helped start it. And Vans went into Chapter 11 from 84 to 88. And I had to let Everett go because we didn't have no money for teams or anything. We had to get out of the trouble we were in. As soon as we got out, the first thing I did was hire Everett Rosecrans back. And as the company was growing, we got team managers in all these different sports who do great jobs. And, uh, you know, I look up to people. I travel all the time with Tony Alva. Mm -hmm. Tony's, you know, 
a great person, so knowledgeable. I mean, he doesn't have to get, you know, there's a king in the room. He can talk to them. He can tell them about art. He can talk about stories. But Tony's had his ups and downs. He's been sober almost 10 years. It's a pleasure to travel with. He's a total professional. Anywhere I go, and I always travel, it's normally if I have a Ray Barbie with me or I have Caballero, Christian Soy, people spot these guys and it's like, you know, it's like fly paper. Everybody's just over and they want to talk to them. And those guys take the time, you know, to do that. And that's what we're trying to teach new writers today, you know. If it happens to be the Pedro Burroughs of the world or <clears throat> or any of our new writers and stuff, spend the time because here's a guy that made a whole lifetime. Tony's 58, 59. Stevie's 50, 51. Christian's 48. You know, Jeff's in his 40, early 40s and stuff. And, you know, these guys, uh, that's their life passion. They're brands, and they've been tied in with, you know, companies like myself, which we're honored that they are. But they got to do what they love doing their whole life. I just picked up a gentleman now uh, from from uh, Brooklyn at the airport, and um, just before he called, we switched places so I could talk when we were driving. Mm-hmm. And you know, he told his dad. His dad was always mad because he liked skateboarding. Chops, Dave's probably like thirty-seven years old or so. And you know, he told his dad. He says, "I know you don't like me, you know, because I was I had skateboarding for my work, and I hired him about five and a half, six years ago." And he says, well, I'm going to Hawaii to do my job in Hawaii. And when I get back from that, I'm going to London for, the, London for the fans' 50th anniversary. He says, I'm doing okay and still skateboarding. So it's kind of cool that, you know, you find people that love what they do and they can still do that. And uh, Johnny Layton, who was one of our pro riders, mm-hmm. is now working with him and visiting core accounts and doing things at skate parks. And so he's continuing on doing what he loves and stuff at skateboarding. Did, I mean, that's just an testament, though, too. Of you, that you talk about these writers that have ridden for vans for 20 years plus. You know, that says a lot for any brand, for somebody to stick with these brands. Sure. Omar know. Hassan. Yeah. And the nice thing, Omar, Omar surfs. He snowboards. He skateboards. He bowl rides. He street rides. You know, he does everything and stuff. He's one of the more amazing guys that, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, hear about as often as they should just because, you know, he's just so well, but he's so loyal. And that's, you know, that's a loyalty back and forth. You talked about wearing the red shoes and then the next year wearing the blue one. Mm-hmm. Well, that was Alva and Stacey Peralta, Jerry Valdez, Brad Bowman. Those guys would come in. And Tony, in band stores, the shoes were $8 a pair. Tony would come in until he started giving them shoes. And for $4, he could get his left foot because he wore that out. He'd just <laughs> buy a left foot. So if he had a pair of blue, navy blue deck shoes, he then would just buy a red left. <laughs> so he'd have a blue on one foot and red on the other. That's why the first skate shoe in 1976 was navy, blue, and red. Those were Tony's you know, colors that he was wearing at the time and stuff. Oh, that's so cool. And, and one more thing is I'm just going to share. Uh, Stevie Cab also texted me a quote, and he said, my, you know, my name is Steve Caballero, and I would like to just say that Steve Van Doren has made a huge impact not only in our skateboarding industry from his family business of starting Vans shoes, but also in my own life as a friend and supporter of my family and my career. It's yeah, been a great awesome. ride, and I'm just glad there's people like Steve in our industry to keep things rolling smoothly and enjoyably. When he's around, well, it's always a great time. That's, that's great. Yeah, and Steve, of course, you know, he's been with Powell probably mm-hmm. for, you know, 35 years. Vans for 35 years. He's been with, he found two companies and stuck with them. That's just, that's just loyalty with George does with Steve and what I do with Steve and stuff because they're great people. But it's it's great following Cab on Instagram because, you know, here he is. He's with his kids, and they're BMX racing. And tomorrow they're on motorcycles. The next day they're in the water, and the next day they're skateboarding over the you know the block and orange and stuff. And Chris watching Chris's you know young young kids come up, and you know 
<clears throat> having classic, you know, do these slow motion moves, and everybody's going, man, that guy's just tearing it up. He's only eight or nine years old and stuff. So <laughs> it's rewarding watching that. The families grow up, and everybody's got young kids today, and guys like Ed Templeton and stuff to get, you know, patted on the back. This is only the second year that we've done somebody from the 90s, and here's Ed, you know, going to get uh, – going to get a high award of thank you from the skate industry so that's pretty pretty cool no it's really cool and you know thank you so much for your time everyone you know definitely want to uh, try to get to uh, the block and to the combi this year or buy your tickets to the skate hall of fame for friday night right and yep. Stop uh or, up and say hi yeah it's gonna i will see you on friday and i will see Van, you saturday <laughs> great van's warp tour will be out here in pomona san diego uh you know this summer and stuff and that's a great place to stop by and say hello and stuff like that because they got a yeah, Kevin's got a great lineup this year and uh, you know we're looking forward to the summertime traveling. Yeah, you're amazing. You are so amazing. Thank you, uh, Steve, so much for your time, for what you do, and what you have given us and continue to give us. Go, girl, go. Thank you very much. <laughs> pleasure, pleasure talking with you. All right, you too, Steve. I will see you this weekend. Okay. <laughs> thanks. All right. All right. Bye -bye. Huge, huge thanks, uh, Steve Cabell, uh, Steve Van Doren. Ah, thank you so much, Steve, for what you have done. And, you know, I had what I, I read and I, I played Ray Barbie's, what Ray Barbie had sent me a voice message um, about Steve. I read what Jeff said. I read what Steve Cab said. And I concur. Um, I feel truly blessed to know Mr. Steve Van Doren. And I'm thankful for all that he has done and kept it real. And to Christy as well. Um, huge, huge thanks again to Steve Van Doren. And also, and, and as you notice, I mean, he's always out doing and smiling and giving and sharing. And I didn't even get to address so many of the other things he does. Uh, he is such a humanitarian. He's out, you know, with the hurricanes. I know, I remember he drove vans, you know, he drove a, a, a truckload of vans out to Louise, to New Orleans. And uh, that's just the kind of the man he is. Um, just truly grateful we, we are to know him. You can follow him again on Instagram at Steve Van Man. And also, you definitely, if you can't get to the combi this weekend, you definitely want to watch the live webcast. And uh, that you can get at vans.com. Go check out Vans, and you can get those links, and I'll post them on the Desiree Show Facebook fan page. So huge thanks again, Mr. Steve Van Doren. I'm so stoked. Thanks, Christy. Anyways, and thank you, Ray. Thank you, Steve, and thank you, Jeff, uh, for making the time to send those texts and uh, voice messages. Really, really was cool. So coming up next, uh, undrafted free agent who played eight seasons in the NFL, former free safety for the Chargers and the Patriots, Mr. Stephen Gregory. This is the Desiree Show on World Tune Radio. And I've just got to find some music. And actually, big up again to, uh, big, big ups to uh, Sheckler Foundation, uh, Gretchen, uh, Angelique, Ryan, all the guys out there, Letzka, all the guys that won uh, some ripping skating and uh, all for a great cause, skate for a cause. as their Saturday. Uh, although traffic was salacious, it was an amazing event, and I'm so grateful uh, I was there for their seventh, I believe, or eighth annual event, and I will be at the Combi this weekend, so or on Saturday, and I'll be at the Skate Hall of Fame. So if you guys are going, I definitely suggest you guys checking it out. So let me get some music for you. And then coming up, as I mentioned, Mr. Stephen Gregory, former Chargers. This is the Desiree Show on World Tune Radio. They changed things up on here in here for me. Welcome back. This is the Desiree Show on World Tune Radio. First downs and flip tricks. 
And as promised, uh, I'm super excited. Uh, Brooklyn-born, went to Syracuse, eight years or eight seasons in the NFL, six with the Chargers, two with the Patriots, free safety, Mr. Stephen Gregory. Stephen, are you still there? Yes, I'm here. How's it going? I'm good, good. Um, okay, there we go. I'm sorry, they changed everything up on me, so I'm a, a little. Everything's a little bit off today. <laughs> so you know, huge thanks yeah. again for some time tonight. You know, my dad was born in Brooklyn, and he recalls and he tells me these stories. Um, he would walk down the streets, and granted, my dad's much older than yours is, I'm sure. But he would listen to the Dodgers walking as a kid um, from all the radios playing uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Can you share what it was like for you growing up in Brooklyn? Um, yeah, it was. Well, actually, I was born in Brooklyn, but um, spent most of my time growing up in Staten Island. Um, okay. You know, both my my father and stepmother were both police officers in New York City, so um, kind of in a tight knit house. You know, we've always they kind of knew of the you know the. Uh, challenges on the street and things like that. So they kind of kept me in check, kept me in school, and, and, and kept me on the right path. So um, to me, it, it was fun. You know, I, I grew up a Yankee fan. You know, not a Brooklyn Dodgers, but uh, <laughs> I grew up a Yankee fan. And, um, you know, it, it was fun. It, it was a little bit different. You know, you, you hung out with the kids in your neighborhood. Didn't necessarily all go to school together, but you hung out with the kids that lived around the, you know, on your street or around the corner from you and, and things like that. So, um, you know, it was a... It was a good time growing up in, in that area. Nice, nice. Now, um, you know, I tend to, you know, I have athletes. I have professional skateboarders and NFL players on the team, on my show on a regular basis. And I have a lot of East Coast skateboarding friends and NFL player friends. And I think there's something different about coming from the East Coast as an athlete. It's a little bit hardier, a little bit more heart, a little bit more. Um, it's not as easy uh, in the East Coast, as it is in the West Coast, can you share for you? Is there is that is that true for you at some capacity? Um, I think so. I think that's kind of the reputation that it gets. I mean, I don't know necessarily that it is or isn't because obviously not you know not growing up on the West Coast, I don't know what that's like. Um, I think there's definitely a much more laid back environment growing up on the West Coast, especially like Southern California, so to say. Um, you know, where as far as like growing up on the East Coast and, you know, particularly in the New York City area, it's much more hustle bustle, you know, um, you know, just a lot, you know, much, I don't know, just a lot faster pace of life. And, and there's a lot more, I don't want to say challenges because, you know, both the West Coast and the East Coast, you know, present challenges for kids growing up nowadays. But um, just that faster pace of life, uh, different environment, you know, Weather-wise, I mean, it's just, to me, it seems like there's a much more laid-back atmosphere on the West Coast. Yeah, this is true. And it doesn't snow, so for the most part. So we don't yeah, have to deal, you know, I mean, snow, so deal with that. it's harder. It hurts more in the cold. I know that when you get hit or when you slam. <laughs> so. so Yeah, definitely, definitely. So you just, <laughs> the same thing goes for, like, you know, kids that grow up in Florida. You know, they come, they have to go up and play in the cold weather. It's a little bit tougher for them now. <laughs> you know, the Northeast kids or people that grow up in, in cold weather, they, they kind of tend to have a little bit tougher skin. Yeah, this is true. Now, football always, or were there other sports, or was football one of the sports? I mean, how how was sports for you growing up then? Yeah, I was I was big in baseball. Um, <laughs> I I had a feeling. <laughs> yeah, I was I was a big baseball player actually. Um, you know, in high school, I had a couple of tryouts with some pro teams, but ended up deciding that I was just going to focus on football. So, I'm um, going into my junior year of high school. I, I you know I stopped playing baseball and just focused on football and ran track. So. Um, you know, kind of took that path instead. Okay. And can I ask what position you played? 
I was a shortstop, shortstop center field. Nice, nice. Okay, and then uh, being a grown up, being a Jets fan, um, what was it like as a kid? I mean, did you have a jersey, and what jersey number did you have, or what jersey did you you want? (laughs) Yeah, I was never really a kid that had jerseys, um, but I did. You know, a buddy of mine that that I grew up with, his family had season tickets to the Jets uh, games, so I used to go to the games a lot with him, and you know, we used to just. You know, go out there and watch the games, and and it was a good time. So I kind of became a Jets fan. But actually, before like before that, I was a Cowboys fan for a long time, oh. and I was a big Emmett Smith fan. So you know, I had these like this signed picture of Emmett Smith that um he was kind of like the guy that I looked up to when I when I was young playing football. Um, but to me, it was always more about just players. I was more into players than teams. But if I had to, you know, if I had to say I was a fan of a team in New York City, it was the Jets when I was growing up. Okay. If you're just tuning in, I'm joined by Stephen Gregory. Now, Stephen, do you have any social media um, outlets that you would want people to follow you on? I don't actually. Okay. I don't have. I don't really do social media. Um, I probably should, but um, I've always steered away from it. I don't know why. No, I think it's probably it's kind of refreshing. I, I didn't think so, but I wanted to ask if you did. Um, now, you you know you mentioned you changed. You kind of shifted gears in high school from baseball to football. You had the opportunity to go and play for Syracuse. Um, conference title in 2004 when you were there. Um, playing for a program that was established in 1889, what was that like, that history? I mean, it was great. You know, I can remember going to Syracuse and, and actually having, you know, team meetings where, you know, Jim Brown came in and spoke to us. And, it, you know, you know, just, just moments like that, you know, you walk around the facility and, and you see some of the big-name players, you know, you know, guys of the more recent era, the Donovan McNabb and the Marvin Harrisons and, you know, guys like that, Dwight Freeney, you know. So um, there's a long, long list of, of history there as far as football goes. I know of, of late they haven't really had the winning seasons and things like that, but, you know, history dates back a long time to the Jim Brown, Floyd Little, Ernie Davis. You know, those names alone are just names that, you know, jump out at people when you hear them. So, you know, it was it was definitely part of the reason that I went there, um, the football tradition and, and something that I'm proud to be a part of. Ah, nice. And now – uh, now they have a new coach as well for this year, so we'll see how they do this year, right? I'm not going to say anything because yeah, we'll I'm a Trojan. <laughs> so now, yeah, it'll, 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 it'll I'm be sorry. tough. Yep. Nice. Okay, now so uh, Syracuse and you know you guys were conference titles in 2004, as I mentioned. I think you were a junior then. Um, now take us through. Then you get signed in 2006 as an undrafted free agent to. San Diego, San Diego Chargers. What was that day like for you? It was great. You know, it was, it was awesome. It was, you know, it was a moment where you know everything that I had dreamed of, dreamed of as a little kid, was you know partially coming true. Obviously, I had to come out to San Diego and earn a spot and, and work my way out to the team. But you know, the steps were, were put in place. I was getting an opportunity to go out there and show what I'm capable of, and, and, and have an opportunity to live out my dream. Um, that I've always had since I was a little kid. So, you know, it was it was a great day in my life and my family's life. And, and essentially now looking back on it, it was a great day in, in the history of, you know, my career. So Now, was that AJ that called you or who gave you that call? Yeah, at the time it was um, Marty Shiner. Oh, but at right. the time also there was a... Um, there was a coach on the on the team called Brian. His name was Brian Stewart. He was a defensive back coach, and he actually coached me at Syracuse my freshman year. 
Um, so when the draft ended, he, he was the first person to actually contact me and, and notify me that they were interested in bringing me out there. And, you know, then through him, I ended up talking to Marty Schoenheimer and then AJ and those guys. So, um, but yeah, Brian Stewart was really the first guy that contacted me. Wow, that's that's awesome. That is awesome. Now, yeah. and then uh, moving out East Coast to, you know, as we've talked about earlier, laid back San Diego, what was that transition for you like? It, 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 was, it was tough and amazing at the same time, right? Because, you know, obviously it was tough because you're going across the country, leaving your family, leaving everybody that you know. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's giving you an opportunity to go, you know, do something that's you've always dreamed of. And also... You know, coming from the Northeast, getting to go down to San Diego, beautiful weather, you know, palm trees, sun every day. You know, it, it was really just, um, you know, just a dream come true. So it, it was great. I, you know, I couldn't wait to get out there and get started. And I could just remember being extremely excited about it. Now, I got a quote from a two, uh, one player and someone with the uh, marketing department, Scott Yaffe. Scott, Steve was a very valuable performer of the Chargers, both on the field and off. He was reliable defender at both corners and on special teams. I still remember the first time he went out on defense during a game at Baltimore. Quinton Jammer got hurt, and Steve went in, and they tested him with a deep ball on that very play, and he broke up the pass. It was never too big for him. He also did a lot in the San Diego community, as he was a very well-liked player. So that was from yeah, Scott Yaffe. <laughs> I know. I, I, I've always loved Scott. I mean, he was a great um, person to be around, um, very influential uh, in my career when I was a young player and, you know, somebody that I, I still remember to this day. Right on. Yes, Scott's a good friend, good person. Now, and you mentioned he was great when you were new. Who else was new in that locker room and who was helpful to you or who kind of kind of showed you the way? Yeah, I can remember. Well, I could just remember coming in as a rookie and, it just so randomly that my locker got placed right next to LT's locker. Well, not directly next to, but right across from it. Mm -hmm. um, so he was, you know, he was always right there every day. I looked up to him, the Antonio Gates, you know, Philip Rivers, those guys. Um, playing Jammer, who you mentioned before, was, you know, a huge, obviously him being a defensive back and me coming in as a defensive back. He was a big influence in me and taking me under his wing and kind of showing me the ropes and, and how to do things. Uh, as far as the approach of professionalism to the game and practice and just the day in and day out, you know, routine that you need to go through. So um, between Jammer, LT, Gates, those guys, you know, you just you just try to look up to the guys that have been there, done it, done it at a high level, and trying to kind of mimic, the, you know, the way that they did it. So um, those are the influences that I've had, you know, that I had as a young player coming in. Wow, that's cool. So right when you walk into the far right, <laughs> and that right yeah, on the right yeah. wall, right on. Now adversity, yeah, exactly adversity, right and there. yeah, uh, that's a great spot. You you really had some good angels. Are you Catholic? <laughs> mm -hmm. Are you okay? Good. Yeah. Oh, you are. I was going, assuming with the Scot. I was assuming Scottish as well, but I, I didn't want to assume. But I, I thought maybe at least Catholic. Now adversity and change, a lot of it in San Diego while you were there. New coaches, new GMs. You mentioned Marty you know, to Norv, uh, new GMs. As a player, I know you guys can't speak about it when it's going on. Um, and I know some people are able to sort of kind of compart compartmentalize things, but how challenging was it as a player in that locker room going through all these changes on the outside for you? Um, you know, it's always tough. I mean, anytime as a player, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of that, you know, stability is, is something that really 
creates greatness in a team and, and, and greatness in an organization. And anytime you don't have that stability, you have coaches coming in and out. Um, you have a lot of change. You have you know players coming in and out, coaches coming in and out, GMs changing. You know it creates uh, you know a constant change in the mindset, the demeanor, the you know the the direction that the team is trying to go in. So it kind of creates a, a hard dynamic of you know putting everybody together and, and headed in the same direction and continually building on that. So yeah, I definitely think that it, it created challenges. But at the same time, you know it's you got to be professional. I mean, you're at the highest level of your game, and, and everyone has to take a professional approach and, and just put your time in and, and work hard to become a great football team. And, and I think that's what we did during those times, you know, um, whether it was, you know, Marty getting fired and North Turner coming in, who I was a big fan of North because I, I thought he was a great coach. I know he didn't get the reputation um, because of the track record of, you know, not you know being able to go to a you know, the playoffs and win and win a Super Bowl, but – you know, I thought he was a great coach. I thought he was a, a good leader for the team, and, and I thought the guys really bought into what he was trying to do. So, um, you know, I think as long as players buy into what, you know, the head coach is saying and the coaches that are ahead of them are saying, um, you can create an atmosphere where you can win. But uh, it definitely creates challenges, for sure. Yeah. And then uh, you, and then your your last two seasons, you played for the New England Patriots, 2012-2013. Uh, you also, in 2014 as well, you were on the roster with the Kansas City Chiefs. But I have heard so many amazing things about New England Patriots walking into that locker room, walking into that facility. What was it like for you coming from the Chargers, going to New England, and going to uh, almost like sort of a rival almost in a sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you know, obviously when I, was, when I was with San Diego, we lost to the Patriots quite you know, uh -huh. a few times. And they had the championship and the playoff games, and there was, you know, I always looked at them and kind of hated them when I was playing for the Chargers because we could never beat them. But, um, you know, going over to them, uh, you know, when I hit free agency, just, you know, Bill Belichick calling me and giving me the opportunity to come out there and them really wanting me to be there was, was, a, was a true honor. I mean, it was something that, you know, I took a lot of pride in going out there and trying to be, you know, the best player that I can be for that team. And um, walking into that building, into that stadium, you know, you see all the, the, the flags hanging with Super Bowl victories and, you know, you finally get in there, and then Tom Brady's there, and it's just, you know, it's a big-time atmosphere. And the fans are, you know, Boston is a huge, huge, huge sports city. And, um, you know, not only just in football, but baseball and hockey and, and all the other sports. So um, when you get in that atmosphere, it's truly a, uh, a sports atmosphere. And, and that was the biggest change that I saw coming from, you know, San Diego over to the New England area is just, the commitment to sports that those organizations have and, and the dedication they have to winning, it's expected. It's, you know, if you don't win a championship, it's considered a failure. And those high expectations bring the best out of the players, they bring the best out of the coaches and, and the people in the community. And it's, you know, it's, it's just that kind of environment. Which kind of goes back to that East Coast mentality almost. <laughs> in yeah, some definitely. Ways. I mean, it definitely has, you know, it definitely has a, a chip on the shoulder, you know, tough guy mentality. Especially the Boston area. I mean, everyone, you know, I guess, you know, I, I would say that Boston has that, you know, um, characteristic is that, they, you know, they're known as the toughness, I guess. Yeah, no, and I've heard just amazing things about uh, Coach Belichick and, and uh, Mr. Robert Kraft of just in lunch line, he's conversing with the guys serving them their foods and the people serving food and asking how their kids are and how, 
you know, a science project went or, you know, how their pet is doing, you know, um, of really this personalness and this interaction with, uh, it seems like a very close-knit locker room as well. I mean, and they all are, but it's it special. It, it definitely is. I mean, you see Mr. Kraft was around the locker room day in and day out. Um, you always saw him. He was always asking how the family was. There wasn't a person in your family that he didn't know their name or, or what was going on. So um, it definitely was a big time, big time close-knit family atmosphere. That you know, and they kept it in building too. So you know, if there was ever anything personal you had to talk about, those those people were always open to listen to you and and, and give you advice and help you out as much as they could. So um, it was a great environment to be working in. Now, and coming in as a player, as an undrafted free agent, I mean, being in, being picked in the draft five, six, and seven, you're still not guaranteed to make the roster. So coming in, what do you think that lends to more an advantage to you or a disadvantage? Um, I, I'm, it's tough to say. You know, I mean, obviously, if you're drafted high, first, second, third round pick, you know, you're... The biggest difference between those guys and the guys that are drafted later, the guys that go undrafted, is the ability to, to make mistakes. You know, if you're a first-round draft pick, you're going to have an opportunity to make more mistakes, more mistakes, and they're going to give you more chances after that. Uh, as a guy that's drafted late, as a guy that comes in as an undrafted free agent, you know, you can't have mistakes. You know, the, the, those are mistakes are what leads to you getting cut eventually. Um, so it's just it's just taking advantage of your opportunities when you get them and limiting the mistakes because you're, you're just not going to get the amount of opportunities that a guy that's drafted high is going to get. So um, you got to understand that and, and go to work each and every day and, and, you know, not not take it to heart when you only get three reps in practice because, you know, you're you're a guy that's sitting fourth or fifth or sixth down the line on the depth chart. So, you know, there's only going to be so, so many opportunities for you. Yeah. No, and I think, I mean, a test to you as well for with, you know, being an undrafted free agent, playing eight seasons in the NFL, which is huge, uh, when you consider the average is three years, um, you know, I definitely think it, it lends to some character. And that's my next question is character. This last, this year's draft, and it seems this new millennium of kids is there's, and I'm generalizing because there's some great kids in it as well, but there seems to be a little bit more entitlement issues. Um, I was listening on Saturday of the draft, and it was kind of awing in a, awful way you know um okay you know duis two duis oh he was uh, involved he had a gun at a murder scene he had so many different character off the field issues what would you tell some of these kids in this year's draft how would you help them focus well, I would just, uh, you know obviously for them they're, they're young kids and they're gonna make mistakes right i mean everybody you know there's there's no perfect person out there. And, you know, the difference is that these kids are in the spotlight. So everything that they do, everything, every every move that they make, every step that they take, especially in nowadays with social media, um, with the cell phones, with cameras, with video cameras, I mean, you see it day in and day out with, with celebrities. Every single thing that you do is going to be caught on camera, is going to be exposed, it's going to be on the Internet, and it's going to happen within minutes of you doing it. So, you know, you've got to take a conscious decision that, you know, the steps that you take are going to directly impact the success that you have in life. It's not like back in the day where guys can go do, you know, some of these things and it never gets found out. Um, nowadays, everything is just as much technology out there and everything is going to get exposed. And, you know, you got to understand, too, that you're going to get an opportunity to change your life. Uh, you know, playing in the NFL is a privilege. It's, it's something that can, you know, change your life in so many different ways and in so many great ways. 
And if they really, truly want that, if they truly want to be successful in the NFL and give themselves an opportunity to change not only their lives, but their kids' lives and their families' lives, then they got to make sacrifices. And those sacrifices mean not going out and partying, not carrying guns, and not drinking and driving and doing those other things, you know, that are essentially going to just diminish and, and destroy everything that you're trying to succeed at. So um, you would hope that kids are small enough to, to make those sacrifices or, so that they can have an opportunity to do something special with their life. Now, do you think any of this has to do with the way you are raised? Um, I think a little and bit. And that's you know, a loaded question. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, growing up in a, in a family, you know, where I was always around, you know, obviously my father was a police officer, so being around him, you know, he understood some of the dangers and some of the things that are happening out there, and he was always able to warn me about them and, and kind of raise me in a way so that I would try to avoid those things. Now, granted, there's always, you know, there's always influences that out there that, you know, you just have to learn from and and, and kind of experience for yourself as a person. And, you know, you got to be, you just got to have the strong enough character and personality to say no to certain things and, and to steer away from peer pressure and, and certain things that will you know, just take you off that path. So, yeah, I definitely think a little bit, you know? Right on. Okay, I'm joined by Stephen Gregory. We're just winding up. Uh, Kevin Burnett texted me about Stephen Gregory, very football-savvy player who always is in the right place. <laughs> it was short and sweet <laughs> and to the point. Yeah, he, was, he was awesome, man. I always loved him. He was a good football player, and I don't know where he. I don't even. Where is he right now? I don't know. I think he's out. I think he's in the south, actually. Now, um, I need to okay, double check makes, on that. that makes sense. Um, but yeah, he's. Well, no, he was out here in L.A., but then I know he was in Miami for a while, and then I think he is not playing uh, in the league anymore. Uh, but yeah, Kevin. Right. Kevin is awesome. And the last question for you tonight is family. Family is. I mean, I remember asking you at Chargers Park. You know, I think it was about Thanksgiving or Christmas, and you, the family got together and you guys played board games. What does family mean to you? Well, family is everything. You know, I, uh, since I retired, well, when I was in Kansas City, and you know, I had uh, my my little girl, my daughter, who's you know. About, a highlight of my life and, you know, um, just being around her with my wife and kid and and um, my parents and my wife's side of the family, you know, we get together quite a bit. You know, we're always together. We do pretty much everything together. I mean, that's, uh, to me, that's really the most important things in life. And it's one of the reasons I retired, was, you know, so that I can, you know, raise my daughter around my family and be around everybody that's important to me and has supported me over the years. So, um, yeah, it's, it's the most important thing thing for me in my life and uh you know i'm happy that i have them all right on huge huge thanks and you also you also share a gift that i have with my husband as we were my husband is a, was a former professional athlete and i competed on the pro circuit for a few sports so sports and your wife is an athlete as well um it's kind of a special commonality yeah she does she is an athlete and you know Every time we do something, she tries to, you know, think she can do it better than me. So we get it. We get a little competitive every once in a while. But um, you know, she yeah, she went to Syracuse University as well, and she played field hockey. And you know, she's definitely an athlete. And I could see, I could see it in my daughter. I don't know if she gets um, my genes or a combination of both of us because uh, my little daughter's running around doing backflips around the house. And it's funny. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. No, my husband likes me to do punt returns. I'm like, why do you like me to do the punt? Why do you want to kick to me? <laughs> So, yeah. you know, we have a little competition. The tennis, the tennis court's not a good spot for us. We end up getting a fight usually. <laughs> but, 
Right on. Huge, huge <laughs> thanks, Stephen. Um, you know, and any, I mean, I know um, a lot of things going on with you and as well now, um, you know, and best with everything that you've got going. You've got such a great head and you're such a good soul and such a good spirit. I'm really, truly thankful for your time tonight. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Of course. All right. Sweet. Thank you so much, Stephen Gregory, uh, former Charger and Patriots and also short time with Kansas City Chiefs. Huge thanks to him for his time. V invaluable uh, experience, strength uh, that he was able to share with us, you know, coming on as an undrafted free agent. Um, and just, I don't know, I mean, this you could hear his... His perspective is just really grounded and, uh, you know, and I hope that some future players and people, actually, just great people skills. Uh, huge, two amazing Steves tonight, as I mentioned. Uh, huge thanks again to Steve Van Doren uh, for his time as well during the middle of this mayhem of all these events going on. Uh, and huge thanks to Scott Yaffe from the Chargers, um, Kevin Burnett for the quote on Stephen Gregory, Jeff Rowley, Ray Barbie, and Steve Caballero for quotes and voice recording from Ray on uh, Steve Van Doren. Thanks to you guys for tuning in. This is the Desiree Show on World Tune Radio, and I've got some dynamite guests lined up. Uh, I've got, I'm trying to slate out this Father's Day month for you of a lot of fathers and sons in both skateboarding and the NFL. Um, and who is on the list is Chris and Zach Miller. I'm hoping to get Alex and Steve Olson as well. Uh, another one is Timmy Ware and Tim Ware, Willie Buchanan and his son Willie. Um, you know, I'm just, uh, there's, there's a lot of talent out there and, uh, going to have Aaron Wallace coming up too, who was just drafted this year from, it was a Bruin drafted by the Titans, his uncle and his dad played in the NFL. So you guys too, thank you so much for tuning in. This is the Desiree show and have a dynamite week and I am out. <laughs> It's Jason Carter, and you're listening to The Desiree Show. Peace. <laughs> this is Tyrone Olson, and you're listening to The Desiree Show. Holla.